You're listening to Agile Ideas, the podcast, hosted by Fatima Rabucci. For anyone listening out there not having a good day, please know there is help out there. Do you wonder if others are dealing with the same project management challenges as you? Not sure where to turn for guidance and leadership? Office hours are in session as we discuss project management and PMOs with global leaders, hearing their story and learning their secrets to success. Our goal is to empower you and help you elevate your PMO and project management career to new heights. Welcome back to Project Management Office Hours with your host, PMO Joe. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours. We're the number one live project management radio show in the U.S., broadcasting to you from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, PMO Joe. And for the next hour or so, we'll be talking project management and agile and anxiety and a whole bunch of different topics with our special guest. Of course, we're coming to you at a special time this week as we have uh, Fatima Abuchi joining us from Australia. So uh, rather than asking her to be up in the middle of the night, uh, we accommodate, of course, and, and try to make this a, a more hospitable time for her. Before we get into the show with Fatima, just want to mention the PMO Leader community site has been creating such useful content. We are now into a rhythm. We're now producing every 15th of the month, the Great Practices podcast, uh, which is a fantastic episode hosted by John C. and Chris as they talk to PMO leaders around the world and get from them a great practice that they've picked up over the years. And they're willing to share that with all of you. We have the Spotlight on Thriving Services webinar uh, series. They just had their first episode in September featuring uh, the PMO squad, which was nice to be in the spotlight. And uh, the next show will be coming up on October 21st. That will be a monthly show as well. So on the 21st of each month or around that time, you'll get a new spotlight on a service-related company. Uh, And also the certifications around the world. If you're wondering about the alphabet soup of project management-related certifications, our host, uh, Michael O'Connor, interviews people from one of the project management associations. Last month, he talked with Rebecca Fox from the Association for Project Management, or APM, as you may know them. And you can catch all of those episodes, plus some new shows, such as The Book Club, which we're going to be coming out soon. And you can visit all of that on the PMO Leader website at www.thepmoleader.com. also want to thank our sponsors, the PMO Squad. They're a premier PMO consulting firm in the United States. And you can check out their website to learn about the purpose-driven PMO. And ask yourself, where are you in your project management journey? They can help you work your way and navigate through all the pitfalls that you can face along that journey. Finally, a reminder, all of these shows are recorded and we release them as a podcast. You can catch all the past episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or iHeartRadio, or projectmanagementofficehours.com. Go out there and check out all those great episodes. Speaking of past episodes, Fatima Abuchi is a repeat guest for us, and she's joining us live. Thank you, Fatima, for joining us once again. Look forward to chatting today. Sounds good. I'm sure we'll, um, and we promised that we would do a second episode because we had so much to talk about. So I figured that uh, we might as well do it. So it's good timing and thanks for making it um, a good time for me this morning. Absolutely. Uh, For those maybe who didn't catch the first episode or aren't familiar with you, can you just do a, a brief intro and share a little bit with the listeners a little bit of your story? Yeah, sure. Um, I fell into project management about 18 years ago um, and I've been in it ever since. I've worked in over 25 companies across 16 countries and 16 industries globally. I've worked across all gamuts of project management right through from strategy um, to delivery execution and quite heavily in the PMO and governance space. Over the last six years, I've spent pretty much the last six years figuring out the divide between the governance needed and uh, governance needed for an agile environment because obviously agile has grown so much more in the last, I think personally in the last 10 years than it has in the last 20, 20 or 30 years. 
So there's a big disconnect. Um, there's a lot of companies that have gone down different paths. I'm sure we'll talk about that. So I've basically been helping to, to work out how we bridge those gaps. Um, and then more, more recently, I've um, set up a not-for-profit in the mental health space, which is a, a space that I'm very, very passionate about. And also some, some new workshops that hopefully we'll be bringing to market very soon as a result of uh, some of the great work that the team's done during lockdown, um, which has been a, a bit of a quiet time for us. Um, and it's just been a good opportunity to see, see things move from there. But yeah, so all things projects and PMO is, is my bread and butter. And I, um, I really do enjoy doing that, as well as recent work with the PMO leader as well, which has been a really good new opportunity um, and partnership for this year as well. Yeah, I was about to mention, and full disclosure for our audience, uh, Fatima and I have gotten to know each other pretty well over the past, I guess, six plus months. And uh, we have formed a partnership so that the PMO leader is now a joint venture between the two of us, where we're uh, collaborating to make sure that we bring an agnostic global community together, uh, that we're not tied to a specific methodology or framework, but we're tied to the industry, right? We're tied to getting better. So the PMO leader has become the go-to global hub for information, sharing, networking, and services. If you're a PMO leader or in a PMO, certainly go out there and check it out and excited about some of the new features that will be rolling out in the months to come. So let's jump into something that you had mentioned. We had talked about it a little bit on the last show, but you know, to be honest, I didn't really know you back then as well as I do now. And when we start talking about mental health and anxiety, it starts to almost become an uncomfortable conversation, right? Because it's not part of uh, maybe the norms of society. And now that I've gotten to know you a little bit more and you've established Return of the Panda, I feel more comfortable talking about it with you and help everybody understand a little bit about what your, your mission is and what you're working to accomplish with uh, Return of the Panda. Thanks, Joe. And, and you're right, it was very early days, but um, a lot of work has been done today. Um, just for background, for those that may not know or have heard me speak before, I've been um, suffering from um, an anxiety disorder probably since my pretty much all my adulthood. It's been quite a long time, actually, since I fell into the world of anxiety, not knowing what it was prior to that uh, scary night that I had where, where I had a full-blown panic attack and ended up in hospital. I've spent probably the last 15 plus years trying to crawl back from the overwhelmingness anxiety um, as it debilitates people. Um, and obviously it affects people in different ways. And I understand that completely. My anxiety is a bit of a general, general anxiety. Um, and one of the things that I realized over the years is there's a lot of hard work and learning that I was fortunate to be part of, whether it's through um, having conversations with psychologists, whether it's through reading books that I might have found, whether it's through simple techniques, things that I've personally then taken and applied to my own life and have helped me. And since then, I've also helped others in my family as well. A number of people in my family have um, anxiety or depression or both. And so I've been really fortunate to be able to share those learnings. And the idea of Return of the Panda was Really, after so many years suffering from anxiety, I remember talking to my husband one day and, and every time I would get really overwhelmed and anxious, I would cry, um, you know, bags under my eyes and makeup smudged everywhere. And, and, you know, one day he said to me, oh, look, the panda's back. And I just realised, hang on a minute, that, that sort of language there is just so universal. It's just so simple to understand. And I spent so many years trying to help people understand what is anxiety. So I've set up Return of the Pandas, our first not-for-profit. We're still sort of building it up and, and getting our not-for-profit status here. But it's ultimately aimed at inspiring and educating and informing sufferers that they're not alone. I feel for them because I've been where they are. And I'm hoping by inspiring and sharing my story and providing practical support that it will help provide some reassurance and comfort whenever they need it. I want to embrace them with encouragement and support to help end the stigma associated with anxiety and amongst that bring, you know, products and services and tips and techniques and, you know, materials and all sorts of things that can help people in a really practical way 
to supplement all of the theory that's out there on mental health. And so Return of the Panda is, is my new baby, my new business baby, and I'm really proud of it. And it's only just start getting started, but I'm looking forward to sharing more with everyone. Yeah, and one of the, I don't know if it's good news or bad news, I guess one of the side effects of hosting a show where I talk to the world twice per month live is people get to know a little bit about me more than just the professional and everyone knows my oldest son went to Navy boot camp this year uh, to get into the Navy. And while he was in boot camp, he started suffering from anxiety. He had, he had symptoms prior to going into boot camp, but nothing um, like he was experiencing in boot camp. And you and I had chatted about this and you had given me some kind of uh, tips to be able to chat through with him. Unfortunately, you can't really chat to them directly. So you write a letter with some ideas in it. It gets there two weeks later. And by the time they respond back, it's, you know, they're beyond it. Uh, but anxiety impacted him so much, but people don't know. I don't think we've gotten this part of the story is he had a, he had a fall out of boot camp. He didn't make it right. He asked to be uh, let go. And it wasn't from physical capabilities. It wasn't from desire it was he couldn't handle the anxiety of it. And now that he's home, a lot of that has subsided and he's getting back into his normal rhythm of things. But it impacts all of us, even if it's not us, right? And I think that's part of your messaging, right? As you talked about your family, how many yeah. of us out there are impacted, either ourselves or family members or friends that deal with these symptoms and we don't know how to work with them and how to help them through all that? Yeah, 100%. And thank you for sharing your story as well. It, it is um, something that it took me quite a long time to want to speak up about it because for a long time climbing the corporate ladder and doing all this work, I always believed um, and was proven wrong that if I speak up about my mental health, that I would be you know, not promoted, questioned my people, would question my ability, they wouldn't want to work with me. But it came to a point for me where, it just got, it just got so, it became, it became a point in time where I just got so um, concerned that we were sort of hiding um, mental health under the covers. And a lot of times in particularly what I've seen in corporate, it very much is so. I think COVID's actually opened the door for a wider conversation on mental health, which is amazing if, if one positive has come from it. And, and for me, it was like, I got to a point in my career where I said, you know what, if people don't want to work with me or don't want to liaise with me or, or want to judge my my work based on the fact that I have a mental health um, condition, then that's their decision. And I then took a public stand by joining Australia's largest not, uh, not-for-profit um, mental health organisation called Beyond Blue, who is one of the most recognisable in the country, if not the most recognisable, and started volunteer speaking for them. And then what I realised, just to your point, just making some some simple examples and, and stories of things that happened to me. I recall one day being in a in a presentation with a large corporate group talking about mental health, and then someone came up to me after the session and said, "I can't believe that what you just said that happens to me. I didn't know that was anxiety. I thought I was crazy or something was wrong with me." And they went out and seeked help. And another gentleman, same similar, similar story. One year we. One year when I was speaking, talking and explaining the symptoms and, and signs of anxiety, then a year later when I went back to that same organisation, he'd said to me that he'd helped using some of the tips and some of the free resources that were also provided at the time to help his his uh, his wife overcome her challenges in the in in the bulimia and anorexia space. So it's just so powerful when you just have to give little examples. And I think us as leaders, particularly as CEOs of our businesses. We, the more we share and are open to being okay with the fact that we all have our own mental health challenge in some way, the more it will normalize it and help other other people in organizations to be a bit more um, empathetic and sympathetic to that. So, yeah, it's it's great to know that little tips like that can make all the difference, no matter how small they are. Yeah, and I, I think the, you know, maybe it's the times we live in, but Simone Biles during the Olympics, of course, was dealing with some anxiety issues that really in the States here brought it front and center. But when, when we're at work, if a coworker has a broken leg and they come in with a cast on their leg, we want to hold the door for them. We want to help them get to their seat. We'll go run and get them a coffee. We want to take extra steps to care for them. But we can't see anxiety the same way. 
right? So yeah. it it becomes oh th- that's not real, right? You you don't you don't really have something. You're just saying that. You're just using it to pull sympathy card. How do we get to a point where acceptance becomes normal that you don't have to see it to know that it's there? Yeah, 100%. It's really interesting. I call it the invisible illness um, because it is so invisible. And your example there is absolutely spot. I use that analogy in a lot of um, presentations and it helps um, streamline the, the understanding of what, what we're talking about. It's literally an illness. It's one of, you know, uh, mental health in general is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, I think globally in terms of um, up there in terms of um, conditions that we need to be concerned about. Um, and the rates associated with that are just increasing and have increased significantly in, in the last couple of years. I think for me, it's, it's, also, it's also about understanding that everybody's mental health is different. So I have anxiety and thankfully I haven't gone through any depression, but people in my family have. So my anxiety might be about certain things. So, for example, you know, Joe, you've worked with me now. You know, you know, busy running companies. I've got a team of ten. I'm working with you know T one T two clients. We're running you know multi million dollar projects of work for companies and helping them. That doesn't that doesn't give me anxiety. Um, I'm okay with that. But if you said to me, um, you know, from for me, there's a there's a lot of anxiety on the health side, even though I'm a healthy person. But for other people, it might be something else altogether. They might have an obsessive compulsive disorder or um, for others, they might suffer from, from, from another type of anxiety. So we're all different. And I think that assuming that people um, who have a particular mental health condition is the same and because they get through it, you're going to get through it. And it's not like that. So I really feel like we just need to start talking more about it and really simply at the very minimum, making it okay to say, I just need a little break. And, and allowing people to do that, whether it's because they've got a full-blown anxiety disorder or whether they've just got a, you know, some, some challenges that particular day. And I think we have to make that okay so people can look after themselves um, because their mental health and their physical health is more important than anything else. Yeah, and, and I, I bet there's some people out there listening right now saying, enough about this already. It's a project management show. Why are we talking about anxiety and mental health and project management yeah. But I go back to discussions we've had with Ruth Pierce and Carol Osterweil and Dr. Barbara Troutline and Josh Ramirez and Stephen Fulmer and many others where we've talked about projects or people, right? And if you as a PMO leader or a project manager don't understand the people on your team that you're working with and the, and the way they're influenced, then you're not going to be maximizing your potential or your team's potential. And yes. really, this is... Certainly, it's, a, it's beyond project management, of course, but it's also so important to project management. If, if we truly are going to be leaders of teams, then we have to be able to understand how to work with each of our teammates individually and the mm-hmm. challenges that they may be dealing with, whether it's mental, physical, or professional. Um, yeah. would have, how do you connect those, you know, the professional world of AMO and the the nonprofit world of Return of the Panda and your personal experiences, do they ever overlap and intermingle? And, and do people say, listen, you're a project management person. Go back in the corner and don't preach to me about mental health. What do you know about that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like it's, for me, it's, they're completely interrelated in every sense of the word. Part of the reason why we also set up Return of the Panda is I do get asked from time to time by clients to help with that the sort of the, that side of things and, you know, helping uplift culture in an organisation. People assume that culture is one thing or it's another. There's a whole realm of things that relates to that. Um, and sometimes it is that people are challenged and struggling. I've seen so many teams in the last couple of years specifically that are absolutely drowning in work. They are overwhelmed. They are struggling beyond beyond measure. And then some managers are overloading more work. But instead of stopping to ask them, hang on, how can we make it more simpler? And when we think about PMO and project management and creating efficiencies and removing waste and eliminating duplication, that's that's at the core of everything that I like to do. So for me, when I go into an organization, I don't think about just what can I do to achieve goals that I'm trying to achieve? I think, how can I make life easier for these staff? How can I make it easier for the people that have to deliver this work? Where can we remove waste and duplication? The more that you alleviate those things, it's going to help give space for people to focus on their own physical and mental health. Um, but often companies don't realise that there is more underlying issues that they're not seeing. So one of the things that 
I think companies have been doing a lot better with is they've improved their employee system programs, which I think is great because it means, you know, trained professionals, by no means am I a mental health professional, I've only got experiences to talk about. But in these organisations, they're bringing in counsellors and trained psychologists and psychiatrists to actually work with people. Um, and I think for us as managers and, and as individuals, at the very minimum, I can if I can see some signs, if I can see someone struggling, if I sometimes I've had people open up to me about very serious physical conditions that they've had as a consultant to hear that, it's my duty to make sure that they uh, that person feels safe. And, and if that's maybe asking them to, you know, go to a particular um, place, whether it's the employee assistance program or um, maybe referring them to a mental health hotline, whatever it might be. It's just being aware of that. And I think the two are completely intertwined. And I think you you can't focus on just the business side of it without thinking about people's mental health. Because like you said, it's people at the end of the day. Yeah, th- thank you for all of that description. And uh, how can, we'll start digging into the PMO type stuff here in a second, but how can people learn more about the nonprofit and get involved if they'd like? A best place to start um, is go to www.returnofthepanda.org and on our website you'll find ways to contact me, more information. We've also got a resources page with helplines, um, things that have been um, useful for me, whether it's checklists to check your mental health, etc., um, and repu- uh, from other reputable sources. Um, and also if you register on our website, you'll be notified of um, a product that I'll be launching to help um, those that are suffering like me that I use that I think can really make a difference. Um, so if you want to get in touch with me, www.returnofthepanda.org, best place to start or via LinkedIn as well. Awesome. And, and I wanted to make sure that this was our first topic on the show today because it's the most important topic on the show today. You know, we're we're in the project management community, but first and foremost, uh, we're people at the PMO squad. We don't talk about work-life balance. We talk about life-work balance. We have it wrong, right? It's reversed. It's supposed to be life before work. And too often people talk about creating a work-life balance. And I think it's important on topics as as special and as significant as anxiety and mental health that we put it where it belongs. And it is more important than project management all day long. And it needs to be talked about that way. 100%. Without your, your, you know, if you're not mentally or physically healthy, you're not good to anyone, not in your own business or anything. So you've got to prioritize it and um, make time. It's not finding time, it's make time for it. Absolutely. All right. So let's let's shift gears and, and work towards our PMO and project management space. We put I, the PMO leader posted a question on their LinkedIn page yesterday asking mm-hmm. a question uh, to the community about what type of training are you planning for you or your team? And the choices were agile, leadership, PMO, or project management. Mm-hmm. And it was the we're so still go out there and vote, everybody, right? Go out to the, the PMO leader LinkedIn page and vote. But I was surprised by the early returns, right? When people think project management or PMOs rather, they think project management, right? It's a program portfolio or project management office. Mm-hmm. But the voting on the poll is showing that the number one training they're getting is an agile. So how is this all happening, Fatima? Right? How are we getting agile and the PMO coming together uh, as something where it seemingly used to be two separate worlds yeah. are now merging into one? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's actually really interesting. I did see and I did vote as well. I didn't vote agile, though. I voted leadership. But um, it was interesting because... I, I don't know the actual statistics on it, but the the rise in agile, like in organisations, I'm working with a lot of large corporate businesses um, in the last, particularly in the last five or six years, the amount of agile types of training, whether it's um, bringing, bringing in specific methodologies that have an agile flavour, whether it's uh, mindset training, whatever it might be, is, is growing a lot of larger organisations globally, but um, look, referencing sort of the, the Australian landscape, um, have gone down the path of, you know, agile ways of working, which to them basically means bringing in, for most of them, it's a hybrid version of, of, a, of an agile um, framework or, 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 or overall bringing in particular methodology, whether it be Scrum or Safe or whatever it might be. 
And what that's meaning, what's happening, um, and I started seeing this about six years ago before I set up Agile Management Office, which is really interesting how it's developed. They're training the project, traditional project teams, so project managers and the, the corresponding delivery teams. What's ended up happening is over the last five or six years, people in PMO and whatever you call your PMO in your organisation, I'm just going to say governance, right? Those groups of people, as usual, um, in the white paper I talked about this, they don't really get much training. They don't really get much budget for training. They don't really get much authority for a lot of things unless you're at the enterprise level. And so they're going, oh, okay, everyone over here is now doing some sort of new methodology and new practices and new mindset techniques all relating to the flavour of Agile, the, you know, the Agile umbrella. Um, big A Agile, small A Agile. And they're not keeping up. So PMOs are not keeping up. So what PMOs are now doing to supplement that is we're going to go get that training. We're going to go get that particular training. We're going to learn Scrum. We're going to be, you know, trained in all of the different methods that exist out there um, and starting to try to bridge the gap that way. The challenge is those training, majority of them, from what I've seen, for a long time, didn't have a big emphasis on governance and the, the associated elements that are really, truly relevant for PMOs. And so I think there's still a bit of a gap. And that's the, the gap that I'm currently seeing where people are trying to get that, but it's not answering all of the questions that they need to solve the problem that they have at the moment. And, and I think the, the dynamic you discuss, right, is, again, you had mentioned earlier, something good that came out of COVID, right? Another thing that's come good out of COVID, I believe, is workers have become empowered to say, even if you want us to come in the office, I don't want to anymore. We're going to work from home. Yeah. And what's happening to PMOs, I think, is workers saying, I don't want to do it your way, the traditional way anymore. We need to be more agile to serve our customers. Yeah. I, I think the marketplace is telling us that we have to be more agile. It doesn't mean we have to give up what we, what is still necessary, but it certainly means maybe what is old is no longer right and, and there must be a new way to be working. Yeah, 100%. It's the same here with people having choice now. I think, I don't know about for, for your market, but the market here is so, there's so much demand now for, for people, for staff. A lot of people I don't think are moving as much, especially because there's still some uncertainty. Um, there's a lot of demand. To, so um, candidates have a lot more choice. They have a lot more options. And so it's it's a lot harder for clients. So they have to sort of accept and be supportive of the way that people want to work these days. Um, and I think the way that people want to work is not just them as individuals, but as teams, how do we work? And and we need to find ways to bridge the gap between what delivery does and the way that we need to still govern. People assume that in an agile environment, there's no governance and control. That's that's complete rubbish. The reason for that is if you think about it, a bank's not going to turn off governance and controls just because, that, you know, we want to let the team self-steer and be autonomous. You know, that there's, a, there's, there's a disconnect between what, we envisage is going to happen and what really happens. And I'm seeing that firsthand in a number of organisations, um, large organisations that uh, have gone down that path. So I think we definitely need to be more flexible. We definitely need to change the way we work. PMOs need to change the way they work. What worked 10 years ago is not going to work for the next 10 years. And I've been trying to talk about that for six years. And now I've sort of, I've sort of been saying to people, we need to focus on capability. It's not about me as a PMO manager or you as a PMO manager or, you know, who you're hiring. It needs to be about the capability that we want to bring in and how we bridge that gap between the agile environment and the non-agile environment because there's still a big divide. Yeah, I, I had done a, a poll, a personal poll out on LinkedIn a couple of weeks back asking, where are you getting your training from? Is it in person or online? And are you paying it for it yourself or is your company paying for it? I think pre-COVID, a, a great majority of the training was in-person paid by companies. Yeah. The poll results were a complete opposite, right? 91% of the training being received today is online. And of that, two-thirds of it is being paid by the individual themselves and not the company. And I think wow. this goes back to if I'm working from home, where am I going to go get my training in person? I have to get it online. And if I'm online and I'm not around a team, I'm not asking my boss for what's the training budget, I'm just going to go get the course and I'm going to take it. And if it's affordable, I'm not going to worry about it. Right? It, yeah. it, it's again, it's the capabilities are shifting. The work mm -hmm. environment is shifting, forcing us to be able to work differently. 
and I think the PMO of the, of, you know, I'm going to have a staff meeting where every PM is going to come in and they're going to talk about the status of their project and we're going to build a giant dashboard. Can't do that anymore, right? Because we're all in a remote setting. So we're, we're being forced to have a different set of capabilities to be able to deliver value back to our organizations differently. hundred percent. Yeah. I think, um, you know, it's really interesting because you're right with things being remote, that's definitely forced a shift and it's probably accelerated it. People, um, some, a lot of organizations didn't even have, you know, technology that they were using to do, you know, you know, virtual meetings and things like that. They've had to elevate that and do a lot of projects to get some of that off, um, off the ground as well. I think for me, it's, it's about focusing on how do we increase overall collaboration and productivity. From that perspective, it's we're working remotely and we probably will for, for a little while yet, but still it doesn't mean you don't have collaboration or, or, or productivity. We need to increase productivity more so, in, if, in fact, um, because you get less time with people and, and everyone's working different hours. It's, it's for me, capabilities about incremental focus um, on the specific needs of the organisation, that team, that delivery function at that point in time. It's about reducing risk, reducing duplication. It's helping the, the, the PMOs to help delivery teams stop pushing back on them because we know that that happens a lot as well. Um, it's about being flexible. It's about, I, I basically say, it's about putting agility into governance, not putting governance into agile. And to me, it's a, that's at the heart of it. And, and PMOs need to figure out how to do that. I feel like we have been practicing that for the last six years as a business and, and really got into a point where it now makes sense. Um, and so next year, um, uh, the first workshop around Agile and the PMO will kick off to cover a lot of the learnings that we've had, but we've um, delayed it because it's just so much that we've got to cram in um, into, into, the, into it to, to really share those learnings and insights. I, you know, you read my mind because I was going to ask uh, about the workshops. You had mentioned them at the beginning during your intro, and, and that seemed like a perfect time to ask it. And you mentioned it. So what's some of the detail? What can people expect from that workshop? So um, at the moment, the, the one that, that um, is happening right now that we're, we're doing virtually um, is about project management for non-project managers. And that's really to help all of the peripheral functions that work with projects, understand projects better, HR, finance, et cetera. And it's something that we're running online and virtually, and it's a series. So it's over a period of weeks and it can be flexible. The Agile and the PMO one is about helping PMOs that are ready to make a change and are looking to find ways to bridge the gaps and the approach and using the AMO method, the approach on how to do that. So it's not going to dictate you must do this and you must do that. It's more about what's the journey that you need to take to help bring your PMO on that agile, um, I was going to say agile train, but I don't want to confuse it with the release trains, but bring it on that agile journey and help bring the business and bring the delivery teams on that on board that journey. And there's multiple modules. So we have probably about, I think it's about six to eight modules at the moment. And it will cover everything from, let's just start off with what is agile and what is out there that relates to agile, whether it's the methodologies that people use when they're thinking about it, the mindset side, and all of the activities and behaviors across the different capabilities of PMO. Um, so it's really very full on. Um, and yeah, I think it's not going to be for everyone. I think some people that are not really willing to change the way that they've done something for 20 years probably won't won't like it. But if you're ready to be innovative and think about new things, I think it'll be really great. Yeah, I, I always enjoy going into clients and, and just ask, you know, why do you do it that way? And they and the answer is, well, that's the way we've always done it. Yeah. Right. And it's like, well, I think now's the perfect time to stop doing it the way you've always done it, right? I mean, obviously things are different. It can't be the same from yeah. 20, 15, 10 years ago. It's a new world. It's a new business. It's new customers. Everything else has evolved. Why hasn't your process? A hundred percent. Even the PMOs um, themselves. I mean, what I did 15 years ago on the first PMO. Yeah, there's obviously insights and lessons learned that I've taken along. But the PMO that I'm like, I'm helping an organization at the moment, what I'm doing for them, they are one of the first questions I got asked by, by one of the managers is, so what, what kind of PMO are you putting in place for us? And I said, I don't know that yet. This was day one. I don't come in knowing because then I'm ignoring their environment, their culture, their process, their current situation. 
Um, what stage are they up to? Um, we've got a, an ebook coming out that will talk about this a little bit more, but you know, what stage are they up to? Have they ever heard of a PMO before or am I coming in and this is completely new to, and it's been foreign to them? Or are they someone like a really large organisation that's had so many, some great ones and maybe some not so great? So you've got to understand that before you can really make a make an assessment on what you're going to do. And any PMO that comes in and says, right, this is what I'm going to do after a couple of days, I, I would say that they're probably going to get it all wrong and not bring in that flexibility and agility that's needed for the new world. Yeah, PMO in a box is is a nice slogan, right? But it's it's really impossible to do that, right? And there aren't there aren't two PMOs that are exactly the same. How can we have a product that's fit for everyone? Uh, yeah, I agree with you. Um, and I think there probably was a period of time, even I thought PMO in a box, you know, using that analogy was was something that made sense. I mean, obviously, that was my naivety. And, and I've definitely now have worked, you know, in so many places, I'm going, wow, this is so different, industry different, country different. So so the way that the way that sort of I've been going about it now is, as I said, about capabilities, it's about bridging the, com- the company's gaps using capabilities. It's about helping them to identify what they need, what capability they need, and then using the framework to actually roll out based on developing a co-creating a roadmap with them. And then you start putting things in place. You don't just come in and start putting things in place because like we've learned from Agile, um, if you don't have a, a you know a clear upfront um, you know product owner that has clear clarity on what, what they want to achieve, or you don't have um, cl- clarity on what you're building, you're going to get into a lot of trouble. Um, and obviously, we know that from Project Management 101, but we should use that in PMOs as well. And often, I don't think we do. All right, I'm going to throw an oddball topic off at you here now. Um, you had published, I don't know, maybe a few months back, that you were starting up swimming lessons. <laughs> yes. Yes, How yes. Did- how did that go? At one point, I know you were posting updates. I didn't see the conclusion. You may have already published this and maybe I'm late to the party, but how did, how did it progress? How did it go for you? So I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you that I'll start at the end. It's on pause because we um, have such strict lockdown laws that they oh, were not allowed yeah. to continue with them. Right. But if I, if I take you to the start, um, the reason I started swimming lessons is as I nearly drowned in high school um, in our Olympic swimming, uh, I think it was Olympic size swimming pool. Um, and the bloke was completely terrified of water ever since then. We never could afford swimming lessons growing up. So that was something that we never did. But during the journey, I've, I've tried many times in my adult life to do swimming lessons and I've never been able to, to, to get there. But more recently, I realized it was a mindset shift. And I, when I realized it was the mindset that was holding me back, the, the fear, the anxiety and the mindset, I was able to actually get really good. And I think I've improved to a point where if you threw me in the deep end, I probably could survive, unlike in high school where I nearly drowned. Yeah, I can't remember the reference, but I saw something recently. Um, There was a a young girl who was getting swimming lessons and they had progressed to the point where she was going to have to swim underwater. And she was fighting it, right? Telling her parents, I I can't go. It's it. I'm done. Not going to do it. Um, so the mom said, all right, that's fine. I understand we're around Halloween time. Let's do some bobbing for apples. And they got a big tub, filled it up with water, put the apples in there. And she was going down. She was grabbing the apples with her, with her face and, and come out. And mom said, you did it. She said, what? She goes, yeah, I got an apple. I said, no, you put your face in the water. This is no different than being able to swim underwater. And the, the only difference was the mindset shift. Right. It went from something enjoyable versus something she was dreading. And I think yeah. that's it. You spoke to the mindset shift. I want everybody to understand the, how powerful the mind can be, right, as as a barrier, but also as something that can motivate and drive us as well. And and our employees in, in the workplace and the people you need to get on the bus so that you can make the change that, you know, your project or PMO is making for the organization. It's It's the mindset. Um, so I, I love that story. I, I, th- yeah, I can resonate with it quite quite well. But you have to also be aware that it is the mindset. You have to go, now I understand. And it took me a long time, most of my, lo- my life, to have, that, to have that connecting sort of point. Um, but with, you know, going back to the anxiety side of things, um, the way the biggest path to overcoming that significantly for me 
was around um, education, so understanding it like we would any other topic you want to learn about, but also the mindset and the belief that you can get better or you, you know you can achieve more. So um, 100% all about mindset. Well, hopefully as, as your country gets closer to opening up and you get back to swimming lessons, I want to know how it wraps up, right? I want to find out how it goes. Well, if you don't hear from me, you'll know I probably drowned. <laughs> no, but, well, look, I promise I, uh, I'm still fearful of the, the beach, so I probably won't go that extent. I, I like swimming pools, so I'll, I'll stick to the swimming pool, but I'll keep you posted for sure. Uh, it's, it's Every time I think of beach in Australia, I think of uh, Steve Irwin and his family and everything, the guy who was least afraid of it, and he ended up yeah. obviously having a tragic accident. So, uh, yeah, stay away from the beach if you're not comfortable there, right? Definitely not. No. <laughs> so the PMO leader, right? We're we're partners in this. We're we're trying to promote and create a global community. What can you share with listeners as to why it's something that they should be interested in and go check out, and where they can get value about it? I think the 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 thing that um, I'll probably start with is the fact that it's not. It's been about six years that we that I've been in business, and I've not really ever considered partnering with anyone or anything because not that there's not good ideas out there but you know when you partner you you're gonna you want to actually um believe in what it is that you're actually partnering with and you want to know that you can add value and I think what I really like about the PMO leader not only is is the membership free and um this may sound like a sales pitch but it's completely not but the fact that right now the thing I love is we've got a book club that will tell you about what what people are reading that is going to help you. Um, I think mine's been featured too, which is exciting, um, or the white paper. Um, two, you know, you've got a podcast series with different people. Um, you've got this, the the thing that I'm looking forward to is having somewhere which tells you all the certifications from all the different providers as opposed to being we're just selling this provider or we're selling this method or we're selling this book or we're selling, you know, it's not like, Joe, you and I just selling, um, we're selling our workshops and our methods and that's it. No, no, no. Every methodology that exists is welcome to be part of this. So I kind of see it as like a central hub of information for people. And to me, that's exciting because I, I feel like I'm in, I feel like, and I try to be an educator, um, learning lessons and, and then sharing those to people, either don't make those mistakes or maybe teach me something from something I've learned. So I think the PMO leader brings all of that together. And I think the part of it that's really powerful is PMOs now more than ever are being called upon, which is very different to a few years ago to be leaders. And so how do we do that? And that's what I think we're trying to help people see. Um, and it's it's so multicultural. We've got how many how many ambassadors do we have at yeah, the moment? I think we're over 40 ambassadors. I should, probably should know that number, but, uh, but that's yeah. a good guess, I think. It's growing and it's global. So at the moment, um, thinking about some, some upcoming white papers and work, it's like, okay, we've got questions about something that's happening in, in the African um, region. Okay, I'll talk to Billy or, you know, something that's going on in Spain or we'll call Leonardo or something that's going on. So it's just having having that global perspective on lots of things, whether it's workshops, books, you know, good blogs to read and the community. It's just so exciting to me. And so that's why I was really keen to be part of it and I feel like I can funnel my PMO energy because that's only one part of projects and, and governance and strategy that I do into this because it's so exciting. So I, I love it. I'm, I actually love being part of it. Yeah, and, and that PMO leader officially launched on April 2nd, so it's still pretty new. Yeah. Uh, we're closing in on 700 members, which is amazing, uh, from over, I think it's now close to 70 countries. Amazing. Uh, membership is free. We have our own podcast. We have multiple webinar series. We've got technology vendors that are, are supporting it, the, the community financially. It's Again, it's free, so it's, it's a, a resource easily accessible for everybody. It's really great to be able to see the community come together and rally around the industry, right? Not around, hey, why, why does your certification cost so much? We yeah. don't have a certification, right? We're, we're not selling that. Yeah. Uh, it's just an opportunity to, again, get knowledge, share and exchange information, uh, get learning, and to be able to get services if I want them, right? It, it's amazing how that can be responded. And having a pulse on what's going on in regions and countries, which I think is exciting because, I mean, I'd love to travel to every country in the world and find out what exists, if anything, on PMO and project management. 
but I can't. I don't have that opportunity, right? Um, I, it would take a really long time. So having that, I think, is so great. And I think the thing that also is really exciting is if you think about the work that we've done in the you know last six to 12 months or from when you originally had the idea to where we are now, we've got little squads um, in all of these different regions and doing, you know, we've got a book club squad. We've got a, so we're actually, we're actually building it in an agile way. We've got a, you know, iterative um, plan of, of, of releases and the things that we're trying to develop. We're getting feedback and releasing, getting feedback and releasing. We, you know, we're doing a lot of those things. So we're applying agile mindset. We're applying big agile, small agile. And I think um, for a PMO community to do that is just one step closer to them really understanding that delivery space better and being a lot more valuable for organizations where maybe they are not so much. Yeah, another uh, item that I received recently that helped me know that it's being successful is we've had three separate PMI chapters reach out to us asking to partner with us because they don't have services for PMO leaders within their chapters because PMI really focuses on, on the individual. Yeah. Um, and, and they're not from the U.S. They're not from Australia. They're for, there's one from the Middle East. There's one from Europe and there's another one in Asia. Um, and until we have those partnership or collaborative agreements signed, I don't want to mention anything. But that is so refreshing to know that there's people reaching out to us now, not just to become a member, but saying, how can our chapter collaborate with you as an organization to be able to benefit our membership? And yeah. and that is what's really empowering to me to be able to see the uh, reaction within the industry. Yeah, I, I think that's, yeah, it's it's incredible. Um, and it's such a short period of time. I would like to, um, I would like to um, circle, circle back onto, you know, the, the, the leadership side of, of this. Um, and I think something that might be really um, interesting is I feel like, I don't know about you, you've probably been in PMO longer than I have, but you know, in my experience, at the beginning of the sort of my experience 18 years ago, you know, PMO was really back, like there wasn't much going on. Uh, it was very light touch. It then accelerated and I saw quite a quite a growth to it. Then probably I'd say in the last maybe six to nine years, I would say that there was starting to be a shift away from PMOs and I saw PMOs being shut down in droves. I saw people going, we don't need them. We're about to do agile. We don't need them. We don't need them. And then I would say in the last three years, I'm seeing such a prominence of, if you just look on, you know, job boards, famous job boards, how many jobs there are for PMOs globally, it is absolutely mind-blowing. I think at one point, maybe last year, maybe it was a couple of years ago, sorry, I counted, there were so many, I couldn't believe globally, I think there might have been 650 globally, I think, um, on LinkedIn, and I checked maybe it was a couple of years ago. So... I'm seeing like a significant rise now in demand for PMO. But if we don't get the, the PMO agile mindset that bit right, PMOs are going to probably get themselves unstuck and we don't want that. So I think we need to think about things from a capability perspective, not about I'm a PMO manager that does this this way. And I, you know, I mean, yes, the skills are great, but we have to see the ship, not, not feel like we own the ship. Um, but I wanted to see what, what's your thoughts on on your view of that? Yeah, we've seen, I think, organizations start to come around with it and they didn't. There's a disconnect between the PMO and executive leadership. And executive mm -hmm. leadership started saying, I need somebody to help me deliver strategy. And the discussion started coming out about SROs and strategy realization office. And, and a lot of PMO leaders raised their hand and said, hey, that's called the PMO. You just didn't know we existed. And then a lot of executives said, hey, we're investing in this PMO, but what we need is value. We need to make sure that if we uh, budgeted $2 million for projects next year, that we're supposed to give us a return on investment of $20 million, that we're getting the value from those projects. So let's create a value management office. And the PMOs raised their hand and said, hey, we already exist. We're over here. You just didn't know it. Yeah. So I think what's happened is in this more dynamic, transparent, open, digital world we live in, executives are asking for what we delivered all along. And that awareness for the need has given rise to PMOs to have access that they didn't have previously to leadership. Mm -hmm. The challenge now for PMOs is that they have to have leaders who are able to have discussions at that level. 
And too often it's PMs being promoted to PMO leaders who are never educated on how to become leaders. Um, so the next great challenge, I think you're right, is there's a greater awareness and exposure for PMOs to have visibility and impact. The challenge now, will we rise to the occasion and be able to deliver? If we can, then I think we'll see even another another stage in the evolution of PMOs where we go from functional to enterprise as accepted. And then if we fail, unfortunately, we're going to be stuck, you know, kind of in this never-ending cycle of swap out PM, swap out PMO leader, uh, make them functional, decentralized, centralized, kind of that evolution that all organizations go through. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. It, it's, it is definitely, and that's in the States and Australia. So we're getting bookending the globe here, right? That we're yeah. seeing that uh, all around the world right now. It's, it's like the, um, the revolving door of PMO. So I, I six years ago, um, you know, was working in an organisation and, and I was like trying to explain to them, we've got to change the way we're working. The big, big, big organisation, you know, one of our, one of our largest. And, and I was, and they just weren't listening. They weren't listening. And I was saying, these are the reasons why. I, I to give you an example, in one organisation in the last 10 years in my career, I went in to, to set up a PMO but I was the fourth PMO manager in two years. Mm-hmm. The recruitment costs, the onboarding costs, the the cost of the cost of, of time that was wasted by all these PMs that had to keep learning new things from new PMO people. And you know, so when I got in there and they were like, oh, another one, like it was really frustrating for them. So going to your point around the value management office and their SRO and all of that, you know, don't I don't I don't care what people want to call it. At the end of the day, like I said, it's the remnants of what PMOs are good at. Well, at least the good PMOs, there are obviously some that need to uplift. But if an organisation looks at it from a capability perspective, the way they look at their business architecture and the strategy for their organisation, you know, we need human resource capability, we need finance capability, we need all of these things. And we think about what capabilities do we need that's going to support projects, then it's about the capability and not about the revolving door of PMOs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I call it capability in a box and, and that's what I'm basically doing with clients now it's like it's not about me or this PMO manager or that PMO manager it's about what capabilities you need to drive your business forward um and I think like I said you can call it whatever whatever you want but unless you're doing that at the executive level and the c-level executives are paying attention to it um you're just there's so much waste going on down here and they're so high up here they probably don't even see it and I reckon they're wasting so much money I mean I've seen them wasting so much money so yeah I think they need to shift the thinking top down, not, not just thinking about, you know, um, bits, uh, bits and pieces of the puzzle, but the whole, the whole end to end. Yeah. A, a shout out to the PMO global Alliance who puts on the PMO global awards every year. Uh, this will be my third year judging that competition. And I can say the finalists this year, not to diminish any of the prior winners, but the finalists this year have exceeded any of the others I've seen. And they're in a wider variety of industries and size companies, but there's one thing they all have in common. The ones who've made it to the finals didn't get there overnight. They've been on a journey, right? They've had to evolve and mature over time. And I think what one of the other pieces where PMOs have had some failures over time is organizations haven't been accepting of the journey. They want results quickly. They want to be able to see the impact quickly, and they want to be able to to see that their investment is making a quick return. Every one of the four finalists have a a very detailed, long history of slow progression, but giant impact at the end of the day. And uh, my hat's off to all of them. November 11th, uh, we'll find out who the winners are uh, or who the winner is of the PMO of the year from that uh, competition. Just a plug for our show, I'm trying to get the PMO leaders for each of those four organizations to come on the show to be able to talk through them and talk through that uh, experience for them to help understand. I mean, some of them are, there's one from El Salvador, right? Oh, wow. My husband's from El Salvador. Yeah, we're here in the the United States. We can't get out of the first round. And there's a country, a company in El Salvador that is just crushing it, man. They, they just have an amazing PMO. Uh, He's already agreed to come on the show. They're PMO leader. So I can't wait to talk to him um, and share their story. Again, I don't know who's going to win. Uh, all four of them were fantastic, but I was, I was, yeah. I was so impressed by uh, what they did 
just yeah. because of my expectations were so low, right, from um, an organization, which is probably more a reflection on me than them. But I, I was just like, this is fantastic. It's a little teaser for shows coming up later this year and into next year uh, that we're going to be talking some of the, the finalists in the, those award competitions. And, and let's not forget that you have gone from being in top 15 to top eight for PMO Influences of the Year as well, which is exciting. So congratulations on that. Thank you. But if we're going to do that, don't forget you were one of the final three last year, right? So uh, so you, we've, uh, I think we both are making an impact, which is great. And congratulations to uh, Bill Dow and Laura Bernard and Marissa Silva and Philippe Husser for being finalists this year, all deserving. And uh, I'm interested to see. The only one I don't like is Philippe was in the top three last year. So he gets to go a repeat performance. He has an edge over the other ones, I think. Yeah, exactly. And you know what's really, I, I did judging the year before I couldn't this year, but um, I agree with you in terms of the quality and seeing that versatility of what people are doing is amazing. Um, and I think the interesting um, the interesting sort of element of it all is, well, one, that there is an awards, um, awards space for our field that is growing in popularity for, for, for sure. Um, and the fact that there are some organisations that may not be successful um, in getting to a particular round, but they come back. And the progression between years, as I think we all, we, we're mentioning, is is so great. And and 100% agree with you with the, the progression, not just for these award um, finalists, but just in, you know, in day-to-day. You go into a company and they go, okay, well, well, we want you to... I had one company who asked us to build a toolkit, the templates and toolkit. Um, yeah, we did that, but nothing changed they actually probably went backwards as a result but and and you know we said you know, probably not going to get you the outcome you want yeah i know just do the toolkits and templates and someone else is going to come in and manage and set up the pmo and it was wasn't successful it actually was really hard because being building those in isolation of customers is always going to be a recipe for disaster so again if we looked at what capabilities they want and incrementally introduced that that would have been better um, but yeah, it's so great seeing progression. And I think you're right. Like it's a long journey, just like anything else in an organization when you're setting up a, um, anything new. So hopefully there's a bit more of that, but I'm looking forward to seeing who wins. Yeah. I always talk to our clients about, I asked, do you have children? And I say, yes. And I say, okay, do you have any teens? And I say, yes. And I said, do you want them to be adults? And I say, yes. And I said, you want them to mature faster than they're capable of, right? <laughs> and it's the same with organizations, right? You can't just wish that you were more mature. It takes time. Maturity is an evolution. It, it doesn't yeah. happen because you want it. It actually takes time. A hundred percent. You, 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 look, I love, I love this conversation because you know, I, I, everything we're saying is completely in sync. I feel because obviously we've had that the last six months working together, and obviously being my leader and what we're trying to do there. Um, but just, just that analogy there, just. I'm gonna. I love it. First of all, I just want to say I don't have teenage kids, but I just love that. <laughs> but I think the um the journey thing as well is is the journey is so we can stick. That's why. That's right. It's like if you go around the world in one in 24 hours because there's some some magic you know thing that lets you do that. It's you're not the nothing's going to stick in terms of memories and and experiences and things you touch and feel and see and people you meet. If you do that in 365 days, it will stick. And so that's why I think people are really. People that don't understand PMO are trying to drive it, um, and I think sometimes that's because of where it reports into. And sometimes I think the wrong person is probably put into the role. Like you said, they're not they're not given enough support, or they don't have the right background. Um, and there's an assumption that they'll they'll get it done, and then it fails, and then the company's back at square one. So it's like let's think about it in capability. Let's stop thinking about it about the individuals themselves. They they're part of the solution. So lots of great lessons and discussions today, right? Capabilities uh, to drive our performance in PMOs and, and use the capabilities as opposed to relying on people to be able to muscle their way through things. Uh, being able to talk about the PMO leader in our industry and what's going on. And, and most importantly, again, becoming comfortable uh, with mental health and anxiety and going out to visit the Return of the Panda website to learn more about how you can learn increase our awareness, and then also participate if need be as well. So thanks, Fatima, for joining us once again. Another uh, fantastic discussion that the time goes by too quickly and we could have kept going, I'm sure. What, uh, 
what's any parting shots or how can people get in touch with you? Any last things to share with the audience? Yeah, um, probably just if you're not following me on LinkedIn, um, just uh, I'm sure that the name's going to be in the post, but please do so because I share a lot of free content quite regularly, inspiring posts or thoughts or um, ebooks, checklists, etc., whatever it might be. Um, but if you connect with me on LinkedIn and, and your, you know, your organisation wants to know about um, the workshops um, that we've got coming up and actually personalising them to your industry and your organisation specifically. Um, and done in a really agile way, I'd, I'd be happy to, to chat with them as well. Um, and obviously the return of the panda.org web, website um, to stay tuned on what's happening in that space. But yeah, uh, we always run out of time. But we, you and I talk all the time anyways, we just don't record it. So maybe uh, we'll do a bit more continuing conversation, I'm sure, in the coming weeks. Absolutely. So thank you, Fatima. Thank you, of course, to all of our listeners. And be sure to go out to projectmanagementofficehours.com. Uh, we just updated our website. So if you go out there and get an error, clear your cache and go back out and try it again uh, because uh, it, we did a redirect. So you might have lost the site that way. But make sure you go out there. You get to see all of our past shows. I think we're up to 90 episodes now over four years, 40 million uh, plays and downloads. Um, and we've got some great guests coming up as well. Ricardo Vargas will be joining us next. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Citizen Developer Program with Sam Sibley and Matt Hubbard uh, that PMI has put together. Chris Ronzio from Trainual is going to come on and talk about playbooks and give us more information about that. And then we're going to be talking to the PMO of the year finalists and talking with some of them to get them organized for the end of the year and into next year. So lots of great guests coming up, lots of great discussions. Also a reminder that we are live, but we do record. So go on out and subscribe to Project Management Office Hours on your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Spotify, Spreaker, etc. Of course, thank you to our sponsors, the PMO Squad and the PMO Leader. Be sure to go out and visit their sites to learn more about the services they you can get and all of the great membership, free membership opportunities and content on the PMO Leader site. That's it for now. Office hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours. Thanks for listening to another episode of Project Management Office Hours with PMO Joe. You're not alone in your project management journey. We're here to help you achieve your goals. Subscribe to Project Management Office Hours on your favorite podcast platform to catch all of our episodes and hear industry leaders share their story and secrets to success. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We welcome any feedback. Please let us know by going to www.agilemanagementoffice.com forward slash agile ideas. You can also find us on most social media channels by searching agile ideas or follow me on LinkedIn. Thank you for listening. Please share or rate this if you enjoyed it. I hope you've been able to learn feel, think, or be inspired today. Until next time, what's your agile idea?